from the Raadshal in the City Hall. The election debate 2023. Hosted by EindhovenNews.com. Co-hosted by NL Times, DutchNews.nl and Radio for Brainpool. Getting you in touch with Eindhoven. Radio for Brainport. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this uh, election debate tonight from the beautiful city of light, Eindhoven. Uh, I'm your guest, I'm your host uh, of the event, Yawar Abbas. Uh, myself, an expert, and I'm really looking forward for this debate. By the way, very nice, uh, poised questions for our guest. This debate is organized by Eindhoven News. Eindhoven News is an online platform for English news for our international people in Eindhoven to connect internationals to the local community and the local news. It is run by a group of volunteers and I'm also one of them. To welcome our guest and also to you, I would like to invite Marion Hinderdo from Brainport Eindhoven on the stage. Please welcome. Good evening, everybody. Uh, a big welcome, a warm welcome to everyone, guests, politicians, audience, inhabitants, newcomers, nationalized internationals, and everybody else who's interested in this team. We from Brainport Eindhoven very much welcome the, this initiative that is organized. So a big compliment to this, to have this debate in English. Um, having, uh, giving internationals the opportunity to meet politicians, um, candidate politicians, to discuss many different aspects that are related to uh, living and staying, working in the Netherlands. Um, it will not surprise you that from the perspective of Brainport Eindhoven, we very much welcome everybody who wants to live and work in this region. We need um, many more people than we can actually educate uh, just in the Netherlands. Uh, so um, uh, a big welcome to every one of you who, who is taking the effort to come here and to integrate and work here. On the other hand, we are also not deaf of the criticism, the questions, the worries that are related to this subject uh, from inhabitants of the region, also broader in the Netherlands. So I look forward to an interesting debate, a constructive and a respectful debate, I hope. So thank you very much. Thank you, Marian. Before I introduce our guest and moderator for tonight, there are some practical information uh, for our audience here. First of all, we, have, we will have four rounds of discussion uh, uh, in the end of the, this discussion, after the fourth round, there will be a question-answer sessions for the, uh, for the audience here. So prepare your questions for the end of the session. And also there is uh, the most important thing, there will be drinks at the end of the event. So uh, stay till the end. Now we'll move to, uh, uh, to introduce our guest for tonight. First, Eva de Brown from PVDR and GroenLinks, welcome. Panzu Bamenga from uh, Day66, welcome. Thank you. 
Valery Payek from Fold. Welcome. Thank you. Ian Yusin from CDA. Hi, thanks. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, thank you for being here. And now I would like to uh, introduce our moderator for uh, tonight, and who's also the, the, the powerhouse behind this uh, debate, uh, Bina Arunraj. She's uh, editor-in-chief and the director of the Eindhoven News. And uh, today she will be uh, conducting the debate. So Bina, floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. I would also like to say good evening to everyone gathered here. I would like to say that Judith Thielen is running a, a bit late in the traffic. She will join us uh, any time, and when she does, she will just uh, take her seat. First, thank you so much for taking the time to be here on this day, on a weekday. Success is not only one's hard work and effort, but also combined merits of those around us. So I think it's important to cherish the ladders that we climbed upon while growing. I would like to express my gratitude on behalf of the whole Eindhoven News team to those ladders that supported us. Bert-Jan Utman, Eindhoven councillors, um, especially uh, Mika Ferhees, Yorin Hilson, Len Snelders, Miriam Frozy, Robin Brookman, Sheer Dreitmeister, and also Brainport Development, Hemente Eindhoven, Eindhoven Airport, Jean Poclos, Fontys, HTC, TUE, and of course our readers and many other international communities. The new Dutch, as we call them, or the international, I mean, the naturalized Dutch citizens, have a keen interest on the political ecosystem of the Netherlands, and thus this debate became a need of the hour. So that's the whole powering thing behind what we put together today. Eindhoven News stands shoulder to shoulder with our partners, Dutch News, NL Times, Radio for Brainport, and of course, always a special partner, Studio Nalfiotic, in presenting the debate to you today. Thank you. So this, for this, I mean, for today's debate, we have four rounds, and um, we have four questions in each round. The candidates get one minute to answer that particular question. The first round will, will have um, importance given to Brainport region and to the education here. So shall we move on to the first question? And I hope you're all ready. I can see Panzu. <laughs> He's been, yes, waiting for this. I can't wait. <laughs> no. Um, we witnessed decline in the national government measures towards internationals. For example, Nafix outreach initiatives have reduced. 30% ruling for expats, which started originally as a 10-year scheme, is now, I mean, has a tapering scheme. Immigration threshold is also set to narrow further. On the other hand, we have local initiatives um, such as attract and retain talent uh, by Brainport Development Living In Program and other local initiatives for uh, refugees and immigrants. They all focus on keeping the internationals welcome here. But we wonder how that is changing. 
And especially all of this affects the international students because the trend has been moving from being very welcome and uh, maybe let's say from a warm welcome to getting a bit of lukewarm here. So my question to you is, how much does your party value the international students? What are your party's proposals for international students, such as student housing, scholarships, enabling low-interest loans, and any measures in helping them find work to support themselves during the study years? Are there specific incentives to stop them from migrating to other countries for work? Uh, let's uh, get started with Eva uh, this time. Eva de Brown from PVDA Groenlinks. Yeah, thank you. Well, I uh, studied industrial design myself here at the TUE, and that was an international study with students from all over the world. And actually this helped me to expand my horizon, exchange perspectives, and also learn from each other. Uh, and I also really like these initiatives in the city that make uh, newcomers feel at home. And as a council member, I speak to a lot of international students that have difficulties finding a house. They get misleading information, they are confronted by discrimination like Dutch-only housing, uh, or are scammed by online estate agents or the landlords. And thanks to a proposal of GroenLinks and PvdA, we have a rental team that supports students to come up for their rental rights and get their money back. Well, furthermore, GroenLinks PvdA want to um, uh, invest in extra student housing. But besides that, we also see that the costs of for living have been increased. Think about your groceries, your rent, study costs, and so on. And that's why we also want um, to make the temporary increase of the scholarship, uh, scholarship more uh, permanent so that it's for students um, uh, easier to um, make ends meet. Uh, can we have heard it from Panzu from D66? Yes, but my time is already... Okay, I was just watching it. <laughs> no, so um, I'm Pans Bamenga, and um, I lived here in this region for um, 30 years, actually. Uh, I came from uh, Congo, Kinshasa, um, and uh, I've been living here for 30 years, and for 30 years I have seen a lot of um, internationals uh, coming to Eindhoven. I think it's part of our DNA, uh, because we have seen Philips, for instance, getting a lot of employees from the whole of the Netherlands and then getting more and more employees from international. And so we have this, um, you know, this atmosphere, we have this uh, DNA in our city, uh, which is very important. We cannot do it without the international. We cannot do it with, you know, the whole uh, knowledge uh, of people abroad. Um, so for us as a party, uh, Democrats 666, we always say this is something which is very important, uh, important principle. Uh, you have to think and act internationally. So in everything we think and we act internationally. So it, 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 and that's, uh, that's our point of view. Thank you. And let's hear it from Valerie Payak from Old. So myself, I came here 12 years ago as well to study here at the TUE um, with, with likewise problems as, as we face now. And there is one party that is especially pro-internationals, pro-international students and one European party, and that's Volt. Volt wants to reintroduce the Minister of Housing to get a public housing system alike we know in Vienna. This counts for both students and for non-students. Next to that, the 
universal basic bonus that we want to introduce, which we will answer later, um, will also benefit students and their parents in order to aid them studying. And in short, that's the, um, th those are solutions from Volt. Thank you. Last but not the least, from Jan Houston, CEDEA. Yes, thank you. Um, of course, we welcome international students. Uh, they, give, uh, they give a new insight. They often bring uh, a new spice, a new juice to an already international city. Um, but we have to also consider the local population. We have been so successful in bringing international students that now the growth has gone to such a level that we cannot responsibly uh, welcome those. We can now see international students living in tents. That's something we should always avoid. Yes, international students always welcome, but we have to take care of them responsibly. If we cannot do that, then we have to take measures for that. When it comes to housing, yes, students suffer, but pretty much everyone suffers. So should we, should we do something about the student housing? Yes, but maybe it's also a solution to put the scale up a little bit more. And I see my time is finished. I talk too much. <laughs> Sorry, let's move on to the next, and this is about uh, courses taught in English in the higher um, education. So recently the government announced that courses taught in English will be significantly reduced in higher education. The Dutch students, whether they are of international origin or of Dutch origin, they need opportunities to become global citizens. If the government reduces English-taught courses, then the possibilities for experiencing the world, and such as moving to other countries for work, become more challenging. On one hand, the government introduced Tuetalig or bilingual um, curriculum in the secondary schools, and now, even the higher education sees an opposing trend. Especially when you look at scientific research, technology, and medical research, these courses have increasingly a need to be taught in Dutch. So what is your party's stand in curtailing courses with medium of uh, instruction in English? And when you please be, give more facts when you answer this, because I know this is a very important question to most of them here. Thank you. For this time, let's start with um, Seria Jan Houston. Ah, I could have left my microphone open in that case. Um, well, we, um, we may have a not so popular standpoint uh, when it comes to this audience. We believe that yes, Dutch uh, should be the primary language for bachelor, uh, for bachelor uh, education. Um, why do we feel that? We feel that um, we are, we are one society, we are one group of people living together. Um, I, when I was young, I was living in France, and to participate in the French society, it is very helpful to speak French. Um, and I know that the vast majority of you people already talk a little bit Dutch, and it's, it, helps. it helps. It helps connect with the Dutch people, just as the Dutch should learn English. I think it's, it should work always both ways, learn each other's languages. Do you want to go, Eva? Yeah, just a, a question. Do you uh, want no study in English anymore? Or 
I thought it wasn't informative, but, it's, but I will answer your question. <laughs> um, no, we, we, there are always educations where you should just do it in English. When you have only English literature, when you only have English-speaking professors, it makes no sense in, um, in doing it only in Dutch. But what we should avoid is uh, a good example that I heard this morning is that German students who cannot do their study in Germany and are coming over here in Holland to do an English language study and move back to Germany as soon as they finish their, their study. I think then you do not have the added value that we are looking for in a multilingual uh, education. But by doing so, you also kind of stop the international students uh, from coming over here to study. So that's kind of a, I mean, a, a situation, right? So let's uh, continue to hear from the other parties now. <laughs> Eva. Well, I'm glad to hear it's not that black and white at uh, CDA. Well, for GroenLinks PvdA, uh, most important is to look to the motivation what the motivation is to choose for English as a main language. Is that money or quality of education? Because now there's a strong financial uh, incentive, like the more students an educational institute attracts, the more money they get. And then actually international students are a bit misused for yeah, getting more finances. So we think that money is the wrong motivation. What should be put central is the choice for, uh, at the choice for internationalization is the quality of education. So that's why we think that educational institutes uh, should argue, argue how um, internationalizing the study enriches the development and learning opportunities of their students. And what I already said, like in my studies, it added a lot of value to work together actually with um, international students. Um, and furthermore, uh, we should invest in sufficient amount of student housing, in the quality of education, in a reduction of workload for staff and for sufficient facilities, because these are the conditions to host um, yeah, more students at our educational institutes. Thank you. And uh, from Panzo. Now, for DC6, it's very important uh, that all students um, are very excellent uh, in English. Uh, so for us, it's very important as well that uh, they have the possibility to have uh, instructions also in English, um, you know, especially when there is an added value to it. And if we look in this region of, uh, of Eindhoven, we see a lot of people uh, having science as education. And science, of course, is something which is very international. So uh, it will be very wrong uh, to not develop uh, it or to not uh, stimulate it. Um, so that's why we as a D66, we are, um, yeah, we are really for uh, English instructions, also for excellent uh, being in English. And I think that the Dutch has always been uh, a, a people who has been uh, very complimented uh, when they go abroad and uh, the way they speak English. Yeah. I'd like to very much add to that. Uh, we as the Dutch have been the most proficient English speakers who, who learn it as a non-native language. That should be cherished. Uh, in, in Europe, uh, we, we still need to communicate with each other. And for that, a proficient uh, level of English is required also for our Dutch students, but also the mingling of internationals and Dutch uh, together as such English does bring forth the quality of education. It does not diminish it. And certainly, Volt is certainly pro-English uh, education. 
Thank you. Moving on to the next question, it's about minimum wage. The minimum wage has been a talking point in this election. What does your party advocate? How would you balance raising the minimum wage and the burden that it causes on the businesses, especially the small ones? And raising the minimum wage could also trigger further inflation. Uh, there always is a debate about raising the minimum wage and which creates cost push inflation. So could you please elaborate your party stand on that? Now let's start with uh, Volt, um, Valerie. Oh, I have a beautiful answer to that. Volt wants to re, uh, rethink the entire uh, tax system that we have. Of course, a higher minimum wage is one, but we want to introduce a, a universal basic bonus as well of uh, 275 euros a month per household, 108 per adult, 250 per child, and 316 per single adult for that. Um, as such, the cost of living uh, is, is decreasing that way. All the while, the national debt is decreasing by a little bit, and everything is covered very nicely. Poverty will get reduced by half on the lowest, uh, uh, on, the, on the poorest people currently. So thank you very much. Let's go with Pans. Okay, so uh, yes, it's true. Uh, our party wants to raise uh, the minimum, uh, minimum rate, uh, wage, and uh, we want to raise it to 17 euro 50. I think that uh, most party want to raise it to 16, but we want to raise it to 17 euro uh, 50. And uh, we do believe that if there are companies that you know, uh, are having difficulties to uh, pay those uh, fees, we believe that we should support those, uh, those companies. For us, it's very important that the, the workers um, have more uh, pay uh, for the upcoming uh, period. Um, and another thing, uh, I think that Volt said it as well, we need to transform our system as well, our, our Toeslagen uh, system. We, we want to go to a system uh, which has no Toeslagen, uh, basically to make sure that everybody has a certain income, uh, at least. Uh, so uh, we want to also want to make sure that there is a free child uh, care. Um, so these are things that we, uh, we think are very important for the upcoming years. But how would you ensure that the inflation doesn't um, add on when you raise the minimum wage? Well, like we said, um, for us it is important that, uh, you know, there's a, a word now in Dutch politics, bestaanszekerheid, uh, which is uh, very important. People should not uh, live in poverty. People should not, um, you know, um, um, you know uh, have difficulties about, um, you know, to live. So they should have more security uh, to live uh, their, their life. So our focus is, is on that. And we are saying that if there is any, um, uh, let's say, uh, consequences to it for the companies, uh, this is something we will have to compensate in a way. Yeah, imagine that you're working 40 hours a week, but you still have difficulties each month to pay your groceries, your rent and your bills, especially in a time where everything gets more uh, expensive. And on behalf of GroenLinks PvdA, I went door to door and spoke people who literally had to make the choice between eating and heating. So they had to skip warm meals to be able to pay the energy bills. And that's why GroenLinks PvdA thinks that people deserve a living minimum wage. 
So we want to increase the minimum wage as soon as possible. I think that's different with D66 because you are talking about 2028, right? No, or no, no. We, we are talking about as soon as possible. Okay. And we are talking about uh, 1750 and you are talking about 16, right? Yeah, we want to have 16 hours, uh, euros and hours as soon as possible. And we pay that by increasing the profit tax of the 70 per, uh, 7% most profitable companies. And for smaller companies, also uh, to um, uh, answer your question, Bina, we decrease their uh, taxes by improving the tax rules for smaller companies, such as uh, lowering the premiums they have to pay as employers. And with this fair and social policy, we want yeah, that everyone actually can make ends meet because that's really necessary nowadays. Thank you. No. Uh, Eva and I uh, definitely agree on the minimum wage. It should be increased to 16. Um, we do, however, look at it slightly differently. We wanted to introduce that 16 euro step by step, going up responsibly. Um, as we, why do we want to do that is we do not want to trigger inflation. Further inflation does not help, especially not if you're doing 1750, because then it's definitely going to happen. Because at the end of the day, any employer who has to pay more wages will calculate that in their price. So yes, looking at it only by increasing wages is not the solution. You should look at it in a responsible way. But it's not just increasing taxes. We should also look of uh, increasing wages. We should also look at how we are taxing in Holland. This, is be, uh, this has become so overcomplicated that this could be, I think, a lot more effective and hence also maybe a little bit lower. Thank you, Jan. Now, the next question is, how much is your party willing to spend in the Brainport region? For example, funding for infrastructure projects, Brainport development initiatives, etc. The infrastructure needs here are more than Randstad, which obviously has received a lot of funding in the past years. So, um, and it's also proven with the figures. So what is, what's on your manifesto? for Brainport. Let's start with uh, Jan Houston. Thank you. This is actually um, one of my key points when I talk to people in The Hague. Eindhoven is like the booming economic region of Holland. Why do we only have these small highways? And at the same time, these highways are also taking care of all the trucks leaving Antwerp and leaving the Rotterdam Harbour, heading to Germany, heading to the, uh, Poland and so on. We're in traffic jams every single day. Uh, A67, A58, both highways should have been redone already a long, long time ago. And as far as I'm concerned, they should be done tomorrow. Uh, so when it comes to infrastructure, because if you grow, you need the infrastructure to back your economy, to back your companies. If you cannot get the flow going, you'll get stuck as a company. You'll just need the infrastructure. It must have been done yesterday. <laughs> so now let's start with Panzu. No, uh, definitely. Uh, I think that uh, none of us uh, disagree um, if we think about our region and also Eindhoven and uh, how much it has to bring. I think that uh, we are among uh, the smartest region of the world. Um, but it seems like in The Hague, where the decisions are being made about our country, that um, uh, people are not uh, much aware about it. 
So I think it's um, it's you know it's 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 on us basically um, when we are elected and uh, when I will be elected uh, hopefully uh, if uh, I get the votes. Um, this will be my main topic to make sure um, that this region, um, you know, gets the right infrastructure um, to to even be a bigger uh, partner uh, in the world. And our party uh, is fully there uh, to support that. Thank you, but I'm also wondering if you could attach some kind of numbers or a or a share in the pie. That would also be nice when you're on. Uh, Eva. Yeah, an important reason for me to be a candidate for Hollings PvdA is because I think it's important that we have a green and social candidate that represents Eindhoven and our re region in Den Haag. And I think the more Eindhoven candidates, the better. Um, because indeed, we see that the growth of the industry in the Brainport region puts our city under pressure. Uh, think about housing, infrastructure, employees for education and healthcare, but also the social cohesion in our neighborhoods. And we think that on the one hand, the big companies should do their fair share in tackling the ne negative impact of their growth and contributing to these societal challenges, but also that the national government should invest in this potential economy of the future. And uh, regarding infrastructure, we don't think that more highways will so solve the problem. We want to invest 1 to 5 billion euros nationally for sustainable infrastructure, such as trains, trams, and electric buses. So amongst others, uh, also the connection from Eindhoven to Dusseldorf, for example. Thank you. So Brainport, as a growing economy, is especially mentioned in the vote election program. It, not, it, does, it does need more support in terms of, indeed, public transport and, and support of infrastructure. Um, I don't have exact numbers at the top of my head currently, but we are one of the only supporters still of the Groeifonds, as it is so-called, where the Brainport will benefit a lot from. And even if I'm not personally going to the Hague, my party is for sure going to ensure that, that Brainport will be one of the key points on the agenda. Thank you, but I was expecting numbers. Your last ditch effort, Jan, to give some numbers or a percentage, if you can pull that. Well, through. I think uh, to be to be quite fair, I think it's um, any number that I would give exactly on a specific region when it comes to infrastructure is quite difficult to give, and I think most candidates will agree with me. Uh, first of all, we do not know what the outcome would be, so any promise that I would make now when it comes to numbers, uh, when we would finally sit down and form a government, those numbers could change overnight. So it's, I think it's pretty, pretty difficult to give a specific number for this specific region when it comes to infrastructure. I understand, you know, but that was only the intent of your party <laughs> that we questioned. Sorry, Vanzi. Yeah, yeah, no, no, because uh, of course I know, you know, what Bina wants. So that's why I uh, got the numbers for you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, I don't know how to say it in English, but uh, three and a half milliard. I'll, I'll, I'll... Billion. Okay, so three and a half billion. Uh, we want to uh, structurally uh, invest in education. Um, five uh, billion in uh, science uh, for the science uh, funds, 
Uh, we want to structurally also invest in that for the upcoming uh, 10, uh, 10 years. 6.7 billion for research uh, and development in innovation in the Groeifonds, uh, uh, we just said, till 2028. And also 500 million uh, for people to continue um, learning uh, throughout their career. So these are some numbers that I, because I knew you want to ask that question. <laughs> Thank you, Panzu. You do remember me well through the years. <laughs>
cannot be blamed on immigration. It's not the fault of them. It's a lack of adequate governance in the past years. Um, what, what can be addressed, however, is the exploitative businesses that we know, um, where migrant workers are from, from just across the border, um, uh, who do not know their rights in the Netherlands are being used and abused, and that can be put to a stop. But that, uh, but those are not uh, the cause of problems in the, uh, as as we know in, in the current uh, in the current housing situation. Okay, thank you very much, and Mampanteo. Yes, um, so I've heard uh, actually just today that uh, the upcoming uh, years we need uh, only in this uh, region, if we talk about uh, technique and IT, we need only in that sector already 70,000 uh, people. And um, so uh, we cannot just uh, handle it by ourselves. So we will need uh, people at uh, different levels. So we will need uh, labor, migrants, knowledge, uh, migrants, etc. And us uh, as a party, D66, uh, we are willing to facilitate it. We are welcome, welcoming them, of course. Um, and, uh, and also we, we want that family reunification. Uh, something that also, um, you know, for quite some time it has been uh, very difficult that, you know, that's like a basis thing you need to handle. If you want people to come and work here, you should make it far more easier for them to bring their families as well so that they can uh, stay here and uh, as a sustainable way. And Eva, I see you nodding over there. Yeah, I see you. Uh, I'm nodding indeed because we as well, GroenLinks PvdA, doesn't want to mess with this family reunification. We find it actually inhumane to separate families from each other, uh, like with all kinds of uh, people moving here. And we find it also really important that families feel at home as soon as possible. And I speak to a lot of international citizens also in our city, a lot of spouses of experts, for example, that find it difficult to find a job, um, or um, yeah, what is the right education for our children. These are the issues that we need to tackle as well as uh, society, um, so that people feel at home as soon as possible and can also build up connections with the native uh, uh, or the local uh, residents. I think there is lots of to improve uh, over there as well. Um, and regarding uh, labor migrants, yeah, we want to take a strict approach to bad employers and employer agencies because we see indeed how poorly some labor migrants are being treated and exploited with bad housing, uh, really low wages. So we want high standards for employers to make sure labor migrants are treated well. Yeah, it should be actually already the case, but Unfortunately, it isn't, so uh, that we find it that important as well. Uh, if I could just ask a follow-up uh, for all four of you. Um, does anybody have a specific plan for tackling abusive uh, employers in this case? And, and specifically, you know, what sorts of punishments or sanctions are we actually talking about? Thank you. Yes, I do. Um, and the funny thing is, it can be tackled in a pretty easy way. Uh, in the past, there was a thing called, uh, um, uh, I'll just do it in Dutch for a second, it's called the Uitzendvergunning, so it's like, like a license to, to, to lend out people. In that license, uh, you can put pretty much all the standards that are required for housing, how much they should maximum, what, what would be the maximum pay to live in the house with a certain square yardage. Um, so you could all tackle that quite easily without 
you know, like employing hundreds of thousands of people again and making another another ministry in The Hague, which they love over there. But uh, but it, it, I think measures can be done can be taken very simple um, by just making legislation let legislation do its job, and then you know, and then because then with the, with the proper legislation you make the uh, employment agencies responsible, and at the same time the companies who are who are uh, loaning who are lending the people in would be co-responsible because in, and in that way as it is a shared responsibility, people will be careful in, uh, in, in hiring people from the so-called cowboys in the sector, which, which at the end, that is what we need to do. We just need to finish off the, the cowboys. Would any of the other candidates like to comment specifically, Eva? Yeah, I can uh, call three measures. The first one is that we want uh, to ask employers or like verplichte, um, uh, what is the English word for that? Uh, <laughs> sorry? Mandatory. mandatory. Oh yeah, make it mandatory for employers that 85% of the uh, employees get a permanent contract. So that gives already uh, somewhat more security. Secondly is that uh, also labor migrants uh, get uh, rental rights and get their rights on the housing market. It's not um, regulated yet. And um, uh, the third one is that uh, we want to actually separate the job from the housing, because now sometimes if you lose your job, um, you also lose your house that is provided by the uh, um, employer, and that's not a really fair and social uh, policy. So those are three examples of um, yeah, how we want to improve it as GroenLinks van de A. Thank you. And uh, Valerie or Mapansu, Valerie? In the system of vault, it will simply not be profitable to run an exploitative business like that anymore um, by increasing the minimum wage already, but also other um, um, financial incentives and changing them, we create a spillover effect. Usually that's regarded as quite a negative fact where um, companies are leaving our region. In this case, it's actually quite positive because it's rightly those exploitative businesses that will, that will leave our region and will be forced to stop just by under financial pressure. And Mapanzo, I see you nodding also. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree uh, on what uh, Varys said. And uh, the last thing, what, what Eva said as well, uh, definitely you should not be dependent that much, uh, you know, for your housing of uh, such an employee. And I do believe that, you know, the exploitation of people, that's, that's a crime. And, uh, and people should really get punished for it. Um, and for me, it's very important to hold a high standard uh, of human dignity. And uh, so that's why uh, I believe that, uh, you know, every employee that really wants to um, exploit people, uh, that they will really need to be punished. And, in, and if we need extra laws for it, we will do it. Okay, so let's move on to um, the 30% ruling, um, which has been under fire quite a bit lately. Um, the 30% ruling for some highly skilled and higher paid immigrants uh, has been under fire from successive cabinets and uh, several sessions of parliament now, uh, dating back at least to 2019. Uh, the employers organiza uh, organization, VNO and Save, universities in the Netherlands and top employers in high tech and fintech call this a mistake. Uh, they say that the tax break is needed to attract talent internationally. 
especially with the current labor shortage in the Netherlands, and we'll ask separately about the labor shortage. Um, I'm curious, what other adjustments to the 30% facility does your party support, such as further cuts, reversing cuts, or any other adjustments? And we'll start on my left this time with Mapanzu. Well, um, like, like I said, for us it's very important to stimulate, um, you know, to have an infrastructure so we can get the best people to our, uh, to our country. And of course, you know, when you are moving from one place to another place, you are making a lot of costs. And that's why it is important, you know, for people to uh, have some way a compensation uh, to it. Um, so we are definitely uh, in favor of it. Uh, but we do believe um, that we should um, look at it in, in a way that we should give um, you know, the, the cuts to the right people who really need it. And that's something uh, that we are planning to do the upcoming uh, years. So it's not necessarily that we are saying, okay, everybody will get those, uh, those cuts. Uh, but we have to look, um, you know, we have to find out like, who needed the most um, because um, so that we can basically be more efficient uh, on that uh, on that uh, matter. And who do you think needs it the most? Well, uh, of course, you can look at um, you know uh, on on the income, for instance, uh, people who have um, let's say 165,000 uh, euro uh, till 165,000 euro uh, a year. Uh, so you can look at that, uh, but you can also look at in which sector people are working on. Do we need people in those uh, sector, in education, uh, maybe IT technique, uh, uh, in, in healthcare uh, uh, section? And, uh, you know, and, and so, so you also can look in those kind of, uh, in, in that kind of way. Okay, and Eva, where are you on the 30% uh, ruling? Yeah, um, we think that by uh, saying that people don't want to move here anymore, when we skip the 30% rule, you also kind of suggest that the main reason people move here is that they are yeah, greedy for money, while there are a lot of other reasons why people will move to the Netherlands to uh, work here. Because they want to use their talents, because they find an interesting job, because our country has good facilities, green neighborhoods, nice housing, good education, a good uh, social support system. Um, and for us, uh, and maybe that's not a popular opinion, but uh, we think that the 30% rule leads to inequality because people with the same job have different incomes and also uh, unequal opportunities in finding housing. So that's not a um, social and fa uh, fair policy that we stand for. But we, of course, want to help experts in a different way by investing in these conditions I just mentioned, like education, housing, neighborhoods, a support system, asking employers to do their share, uh, and also helping their families to feel at home. Yeah? It's just a formative question. Um, uh, is there a, a plan, um, you know, to compensate, like the, the costs that, you know, international have to make, uh, for instance, for the fact that maybe they have um, uh, two houses because they have to move or they, have, they are making a lot of costs in that? Just an just, uh, informative question. Yeah, we think that also employers can do their fair share in this. Okay, and Valerie from Volt. So in Volt, we want a fair and equal system a system that counts for both uh, national people and also expats, which is why we propose a new solution of our universal basic bonus that counts for everyone. And yes, that does replace the 30% ruling, but as well, you, uh, also expats will, will be benefit from that bonus. 
So are you saying that your party would get, a, get rid of the 30% ruling altogether if given the opportunity? Uh, yeah, currently we are in favor of um, uh, decreasing the bonus over the forthcoming years and rebuild a new system that's more fair and equal. Okay, and Jan, I, I believe you're the last man standing on this yeah, question. Yeah, thank you. It's always fun to agree with Eva on certain points. Um, because we... <laughs> It does happen sometimes, but um, we also think, uh, well, but the main thing is, sorry, and maybe I'll maybe skipping a bit of time, but because this is a very important subject to all of you, I think, I've, at least I have the impression with the people I talk to, the main issue is uncertainty. You guys don't know what you're up against, what's going to happen exactly. So uh, what recently happened in, uh, in, the House of, in the House of Commons is that uh, the group of Omtzigt, hello, hello. Um, uh, introduced an amendment that is changing the 30% rule. This does not mean that the 30% rule will disappear. It will change. Now, what the, the, the way it stands now is that on the first two years it will remain at 30%. This next two years it will be 20, and the, year, the two years after that it will, be one, it will be 10. So you would have six years with a decreasing percentage instead of disappearing altogether. So it's not that we're just going to drop you in the deep. Because I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of unclarity there. And I think it's also important, besides my own story, I think it's quite important for you to notice. Um, what we, what we, why we believe this is a good, um, a good, a good measure is, uh, is a, a pretty much a bit, a bit the same as Eva was saying, um, is, is the standpoint of equality and solidarity. Uh, we are in this society together. Um, uh, so, okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna call that for time. Yeah, uh, well, one sec, point. because uh, because that's quite an important point that Eva made, and where mm -hmm. I agree is that yes. In some cases, with big companies, they can also share the burden when it comes to that. All right, and we're joined on stage now uh, with Judith Thielen from uh, the VV Day, and who also wants the opportunity to uh, address our question about the 30% rules. So please, jump in. But not before I will uh, give my uh, deepest apologies for being so late. I've been in my car for three hours, so I really tried. But uh, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't uh, here in, uh, in time. Uh, but well, you're here now. You're now, here now. This is, yeah, and at least this is the good question, of course, because uh, VVD, the People's Party for Freedom and Democracy, the largest uh, party in our uh, parliament uh, at the moment, uh, has voted against the 30% uh, rule. And maybe uh, exactly why, and I didn't uh, hear all the reasoning of, my, of the former speakers, but uh, we think that um, making sure that people from abroad uh, come here with all their talents to add to our uh, Dutch uh, economy is good. And um, we, well, that's why we think the 30% rule uh, is, is a good one. And we uh, voted against, but unfortunately, we were the only party who voted against. So the majority uh, uh, took the, uh, the decision to uh, change it, diminish it. Um, make it disappear. Some of the people who are on stage right now said that they feared that the 30% rule leads to inequality, where you have two people who are paid different salaries, um, one from the Netherlands and one f recruited abroad. Uh, would you care to address that? 
Uh, I think we should uh, um, be um, careful about uh, inequalities uh, on, in the same working environment, of course. However, uh, this was this. I, I don't think this was the main uh, reason for this uh, amendment. Uh, the re main reason, to be honest, was to find money to, for something else. So uh, inequalities need to be addressed and need to be researched. But we need we should take more time then to find out what is it uh, and how can you make sure that indeed colleagues in the same job, uh, just like uh, men and women, if you have the same job, the same talent, etc., you should be rewarded at the same uh, same level. Uh, however, uh, this was a, this I think this was another objective. Can I just so, uh, uh, comment on oh, that? Oh, can I ask a question or? You can ask oh. first, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if I understand correctly, the VVD also is willing to uh, investigate to change the thirty percent rule because of the inequality uh, argument. I think we should look at, at uh, first thing is that VVD is not um, happy with uh, tax uh, um, enlargements as a whole. <laughs> so, but in the, in the case uh, when, um, uh, how you call it, if, if tax is an element in an, in, in an unequal system, then of course we should research it. It's not on the top of our list at the moment, but of course, uh, if we need to look at how uh, companies also with international uh, uh, employers uh, uh, have is issues and international employers and also national employers face issues, then we should uh, investigate it. Okay, we'll move on to can, the next. Can I just, because I wanted also to... <laughs> no, 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 because I think this is an important one, because um, uh, almost everybody talked about uh, inequality, right? Um, and I, you know, I, of course, I'm a fighter for equal rights, so uh, this is something which is for me very, very important. Um, but uh, besides that, we also have something which is called equity. I don't know if you... Uh, know that word. I mean, you have diversity, you have inclusion, and you have equity, you know. So what does it mean? It means that sometimes um, um, it's not about, you know, treating people equally, but it's also about looking at the outcome of it, right? So it means that, uh, for instance, if you see that uh, certain people, um, you know, if you look at the outcome, uh, they, are, they, they, they leave uh, like 2,000 euro uh, is left in their bank, but some people have far more costs and they don't leave 2,000 euro, but uh, let's say 500 euro, well, to me, it's more fair to compensate those people so that also they can leave with 2,000 euro. And this is what we are talking about, and this is what my party is talking about, and that's why we are saying we have to look at the situation uh, um, of every people, and I believe that especially the internationals, and that's why we have this ruling about the 30%, uh, it is important to compensate them with uh, the costs that they are making, which are higher. Okay, we're going to move on to the labor shortage. Um, Jeroen Dijsselbloem, the uh, current mayor of Eindhoven and the uh, chair of Brainport, um, uh, has joined Ankh Bielefeld to appeal to politicians in The Hague, the national politicians, uh, saying that barriers to foreign students is damaging to the high-tech sector and to the Netherlands as a whole. So that's uh, making it harder for foreign students to come here. I, I would like to know, in, the, in this context, many parties have called for limits to immigration, limits to immigration incentives, and limits to English language instruction, as we discussed earlier. Um, considering unemployment has remained very low in the Netherlands for quite some time, how does your party plan to address the ongoing labor shortage in the Netherlands amid the current political climate towards 
immigration and internationalization. And who would like to start first with this one? Right. Ava? Yeah, uh, first of all, Gulings uh, PvdA thinks that we need to choose what types of labor we want in the Netherlands. So do we really need to grow strawberries in December in our greenhouses? Or do we choose to use this labor potential for the energy transition, for insulating houses, for healthcare? And Gulings PvdA makes a choice for a social and green economy. Well, and furthermore, we want to make it attractive to work again. People get richer and richer nowadays just because uh, they own property. Uh, while people who work sometimes have difficulties to make ends meet, and that is not fair. Well, D66 was talking about uh, equity. Uh, well, GroenLinks PvdA wants to increase uh, the property tax so that we can decrease the tax on labor. Uh, and moreover, we want to improve the working conditions for people who work in important sectors like education and healthcare by reducing the workloads, improving the voice of employees, zeggenschap, and providing higher, higher salaries. Uh, and that's our plan to um, tackle the labor shortage. Okay, Valerie from Volt. Uh, next, uh, the, the labor shortage also has to do with a lot of jobs, indeed, as Eva, Eva told us, uh, that we have to choose what kind of jobs that we want. And more so, don't we all want fulfilling jobs? Don't we all want jobs that we, we are proud in? As such, Efforts can be made to create subsidies for more automatization, for more digitalization, and actually um, uh, uh, strengthening people to follow jobs that are actually useful, like, for example, in the energy transition. Um, as such, uh, there, are, there are currently a lot of people working at the moment with jobs that are not really required for our economy, and we can shift those uh, and solve the labor shortage that way in the, in the parts that are necessary. Okay, Mapanto. Well, um, we, we are planning to, um, to have tax uh, income set, uh, cuts. Um, this is something that we want to do. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people who can work, but um, you know, uh, they are not allowed to work. And uh, this is also something uh, that we are planning to change. Uh, we think that a lot of refugees are coming to, to our country. Um, I think just yesterday I've spoken to, um, to a group of them uh, who are sometimes here for one year, two years, and they can't even uh, learn the language and can't even uh, work uh, because of uh, policy. And this really needs to change. I, we believe that when people come to our country, um, that they should be allowed to work from day one, and they should be allowed to also learn the language from uh, day one. Um, uh, our party is really in favor of getting more uh, labor migrants uh, to the Netherlands uh, for the shortest, uh, shortest that, that, that there is, um, and also uh, allow to have more a better infrastructure for knowledge uh, migrants to come here as much as possible. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and Judith, can we go to you? Uh, yes. Um, looking at these shortages, they're in all sectors. So they're in healthcare, in education, in uh, in, in tech, in uh, informa information uh, technology, etc. So it's a very, um, I think, 
easy to say, well, uh, we're, we're going to solve it. <laughs> no, there's no easy way to solve the shortages. And it's because uh, a lot of people uh, work less than 40 or 38 or 36 hours a week. So a lot of, uh, of the sectors in the Netherlands, uh, um, especially healthcare and education, face the big part-time working um, uh, yeah, ch challenge, <laughs> so to say. So I think uh, that we need to make sure that if you start working more hours a week, that you, that you earn more salary than uh, if you, if you um, uh, work less uh, hours a week. That's one of the things that we really need to do to make sure that the shortages diminish. Uh, and I th and my party is not uh, my party the VVD is not a big uh, fan of uh, um, yeah, retaining migrants to the Netherlands to fill in the, all those shortages in healthcare, education, tech, etc. Because all these people also need um, housing, education, healthcare, etc. So we're uh, we don't think it's a, it's a long-term solution. So for certain sectors, uh, for example, information uh, and uh, technology and tech, we really need talents from outside, uh, but for a, a lot of sectors we need to make sure that the Dutch uh, and, and, the, and the current inhabitants work a little more hours a week. Okay, and Jan? I think one has to be put up. Yeah. No worries. Thank you. Um, uh, well, first of all, um, if you look at it, labor shortage, because it's related to immigration in this question. Um, when it comes to that, um, I was doing a bit of research, I was doing a bit of reading, and I love to call it smart immigration, is that we bring in the people that we need. Uh, it's a policy that they've, uh, they've been doing, uh, doing tests on in Canada, and it seems pretty, uh, pretty successful. So bringing in the people that you need, because then you can fill in the gaps. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, we're also in the smartest region of the world. So why not look at certain jobs? And obviously, it cannot be done on all fields. But if you look at logistics, uh, for example, maybe innovation and technology could also be a solution. Instead of bringing extra hands, is making making the leap, uh, making some of the you know the repetitive actions done by robots, for example. I think that could also be a solution. Okay, and I'll turn it back over to Vina for the last question in this segment. Thank you, Jacques. We are here today because of the immigration policy and uh, the asylum uh, issues. So my next question is, the Dutch facilities for asylum seekers were repeatedly criticized for being inadequate under successive cabinets. What is your party's plan for tackling this complicated issue? I mean, considering repeated court rulings suggest arbitrary limits cannot be implemented legally. So, uh, could you start, Judith? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I can. <laughs> um, well, as maybe most of you um, know or remember or uh, think of, is that uh, uh, the current cabinet uh, has uh, decided to discontinue its uh, reigning uh, because of the uh, asylum question. Uh, the four parties have been negotiating about a proper and complete uh, package, so to say, of um, 
of policy makers. Uh, so we we are really we really think that the uh, uh, migration numbers are too high, and we really need to find proper ways uh, to um, make sure that people who don't, who don't really need to come here don't come here, um, and that the people who really need to flee um, political or other uh, um, fleeable situations to have a place here. Which means that also with the municipalities, we need to make sure that there is a place for them uh, to be here but at the same time make sure that the others uh, uh, that can um, stay in their countries stay in their countries. And that's a difficult question. As said, four parties have been uh, negotiating about it uh, for half a year uh, last year, but we will try again to do it uh, if we, uh, if we um, well, receive a, a good result uh, next week uh, to again try to uh, find that proper package together. Thank you. Um, Please uh, keep in mind the time. You get one minute. Uh, so sometimes we're overshooting it and uh, we have lots of questions from the audience, so do we don't want to spoil that. So can you go, Jan, next? Okay, I'll try to make it short. It's a subject very difficult to, to put in one minute. Um, we at CDA, we, th we believe in a, what we call a two-state two system, uh, so that asylum should either be permanent for example, when, it's, when it has to do about, uh, about your sexuality or about uh, religion, that you're simply being killed, or temporary when there is a war going on. Um, asylum, should, should, asylum should always start off temporarily for a period of five years, after which you can then get a permanent, uh, a permanent uh, permit. Uh, but we also believe in finding solutions in the regions. That's why we introduced, uh, a, coll a colleague of mine, Mustafa, introduced uh, the Africa strategy in where we are looking at the source of the problem, which is the region itself. Try and develop the region itself. Oh my God, I only have 11 seconds. And safe landers and troublemakers should be, uh, should, be, uh, should be toughened to help the real refugees. Bang. <laughs> Spelled on. <laughs> Points for you for that. Uh, let's hear it uh, from Panzu, maybe. Yes, so, um, you know, this issue, of course, it's, it's very important for me because, uh, me, myself, I came as a refugee in this country, uh, but also I'm an expert in it uh, because I also studied European law in migration and asylum, and I have been doing this for uh, over 15 uh, years. And like uh, Jan Jose said, it's a very complicated issue, but I think that it can be summarized in the fact that, you know, you, know, you have some parties who are looking at numbers and, uh, you know, and, and not looking at human beings. And these are human beings, basically. And we, uh, you know, people migrate because, of course, they want a better life or they, they, they uh, want to study in a certain place or they, um, you know, they are in danger. And in, in, in all those reasons, I believe that we as a Netherlands, we should be more open, we should be more welcome uh, to those people, and we should facilitate it as much as possible, uh, so that we, um, you know, we should not allow that people come here uh, through illegal ways, uh, they have to come by boat and risk their life in certain ways. No, we should facilitate it, we should regulate it, and make sure that the human dignity is held at high standard. Thank you, Panzu. And Eva, can you? Yeah, this is a topic that touches me as well because my uh, grandfather was a refugee from uh, Hungary. And GroenLinks PvdA also stands for a humane policy for refugees. And people that are fleeing for war and violence deserve a safe shelter. 
And we see that right-wing parties try to frame it as an inflow problem, but only 12% of the people who immigrate to the Netherlands are asylum seekers, and the inflow is not higher than last year. So the real problem are the policy choices that the government has made the last years by permanently closing down shelter after shelter. And now we have a shelter shortage and we saw the terrible conditions in the Apple. And that's why we want to uh, invest in increasing the structural, structural shelter capacity in the Netherlands. Uh, and furthermore, we think that all municipalities have to do their fair share. And that's why we are in favor of the law that is, aims to, that is aimed to uh, arrange that. And lastly, we have also to tackle the underlying problems why people flee. War, violence, climate. So GroenLinks PvdA wants to invest in development cooperation and effective climate measures. But that is because that is the most human uh, policy that we can have. Thank you, Eva. And let's hear it from uh, Valerie. It's undeniable that the current situation that we have is inhumane. And that situation has been built by the, the past go, uh, government, where indeed facilities have been broken down and broken down and broken down. And now at the worst of it, the, the, the migrants themselves are getting blamed for the problems that the government actually created. Currently, there is a, there is a law uh, being discussed called the Spreidingswet, where uh, Apart from a few large areas like the Apple, um, all the municipalities themselves are responsible for a certain percentage to, um, uh, uh, to facilitate migrants. And we want to expand that as well to Europe. So we all have an equal burden to, uh, to, uh, uh, to carry here from all countries in Europe. And that also includes uh, countries that are more conservative and are more opposed from a European level, we want to push them to also get more uh, asylum seekers in. Thank you. Applause, applause. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Well, end of another energetic and insightful uh, session. So before moving to our third session, uh, we have uh, a short speech from a political party who is not on the stage, but in the hall. I would like to invite Ruth van Akoy on the stage to give a short speech that he prepared for us today. Let's welcome Ruth. Hello, everybody, and thank you that I uh, can do this uh, for my party. I'm Ruth van Akoy from the party 50 plus, and I'm number five. Uh, the only party that stands for the elderly and those who will become elder in the future. 50 plus wants the good back, trust and inclusion, good income, good care and cure. Sust sustainable uh, housing, all to be able to grow old and good health and comfort. 50 plus expects to all habits to be a part of the country and city in which you live and work. This includes the Dutch language. 50 plus stands for equality. No matter where you come from or who you are, equality when it comes to tax benefits. The quality of life, opportunities for you and attraction of the Netherlands should be the reason to come here. With a job comes a good salary. 50 plus supports Brainport as long as this is not in conflict with the quality of life. 
Due to the aging population and other issues, healthcare is becoming unaffordable. Innovation is a priority. Reducing the regulatory burden and Nurses Home 2.0 are welcome. Quality of life and prevention must be the spearheads. 50 plus wants to build the old, wants to build for the old, because that's the solution for the young. Equal opportunities for everyone to find a suitable home. As 50 plus, we want to pass on a beautiful country to our children. This includes a good climate and with clean energy. Vote 50 plus if you expect to grow old in good health and comfort. Thank you. Thank you, Ruud de Kooi. Yeah, let's move on to the third segment of tonight. Uh, to conduct this segment, I would like to invite uh, one of our partners for this event, uh, Brain uh, Radio for Brainport. I would like to invite Jean-Paul Lenard on the stage to join Bena as a moderator and keep the heat alive huh, on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> So, thank you very much, and this is also the opportunity to welcome not only everyone here live present at the City Hall, the Raadsaal, but also our listeners on 747 AM and DAB Plus, listening to the radio. Radio for Brainport is an independent organization, and we like to get in touch. We like to connect the internationals with the nationals. So, Pina, thank you very much for also having the opportunity tonight to do that in particular. Um, and let me just also mention that besides the local news, the national news, we also like uh, to have the Eindhoven news quite often on radio uh, for Brainport. We keep you in touch also by uh, giving the most up-to-date traffic information. Sitting three hours and listening to all the travel times between the Evoluon and the university and so on. And, and connecting also the nationals and internationals for instance, uh, in an in upcoming winter event and so on. So that's what we are doing, and we like to touch, we like to connect to the internationals. We, we do have an international audience here, and also if I read the, the national Dutch newspapers in het Nederlands, um, I sometimes read articles saying that we have crisis going on worldwide. We have a climate crisis, an energy crisis, a migration crisis, a digital revolution, which is also impacting geopolitical disruptions. And it sometimes seems like the Dutch elections are Dutch, while the whole world is, is, is changing. I had the opportunity to do an interview with uh, the chairman of a relatively obscure company in a village next door, and, and he asked questions. Can the Netherlands stay relevant in a new world order? We see many countries, um, let's say, uh, anticipating what will happen in that new world order to go for um, new technology on battery, to take over the production of microelectronics, to uh, become the big tech in digital. That will be a new world order. And the Netherlands have been a relatively uh, fluent wealthy company, wealthy country, can we stay that way? Can we afford all the things that we want to do for our citizens? I mean, if I read all the parties and the promises, there is big money to, uh, to, to, to spend on a lot of things, but will we be able to, to pay for that? Um, 
how can we maintain the earning power? And in particular, I would like to address, of course, from Brainport, from um, the city of the innovation. What is the role of, of, of innovation? Do we need to maintain that in order to fulfill all the promises that we are making? And there was a kind of grabbeltom, that's the Dutch word for uh, a lucky pot where you can just grab the money. Valerie, uh, you already mentioned the Hetgroeifonds. Billions of euros can be taken there. But will that lead to a sustainable way of uh, running the country? Valerie, maybe you first. And I already see Eva look like, hmm, I have a lot of things to say there. So Valerie and then uh, Eva, fault. Certainly, certainly. Uh, innovation is the key point on, on where we grow as a country, where Brainport is just the, is the engine for the entire country. And not only the country, just across the border as well for, uh, for Germany and Belgium uh, as well. We currently even have um, uh, European parliaments from Germany meddling themselves in our, in our affairs in the Brainport. So it's undeniable that subsidies need to be held up, the Groeifonds need to be held up, and uh, as Volt, we are fully behind that. A clear story in a short period of time, a very concise story. And body-wise, I think that Eva wants to comment on that. Eva de Bruyne, PvdA GroenLinks. Yeah, I uh, studied at Technical University and saw which role innovation can play in solutions for healthcare, uh, the energy transition, citizen empowerment. But besides the opportunities, it also brings uh, risks on public values such as privacy, autonomy, uh, equality. Think about the childcare benefits scandal in which algorithms played a discriminating role towards parents from certain cultures. Or the huge impact of big tech companies such as Facebook and TikTok. So that's why we should make rules to make sure that technology is developed and used in an ethical way. And then regarding the Groeifonds, we think that we should use the Groeifonds for its purpose, innovative and sustainable projects. And uh, the VVD has used the Groeifonds to lower the excise taxes on gasoline. Well, that's not innovation and definitely not uh, sustainable. Uh, so I'm curious about the reflection on that. GroenLinks uh, PvdA wants to use the Groeifonds for new green technologies that help to fight the uh, climate uh, crisis and accelerate the energy transition and not to promote fossil fuel cars. Thank you, Eva. It almost uh, leads to the question, can we turn that in an opportunity to use the new technology in the right way? But I'm not sure whether Bina gives me the time for that. So yeah. let's move on to, I think you mentioned the VVD. Yes. I'll reflect on you in the last 10 seconds, I think, Eva. Uh, I love innovation and it's always good to see how high the Netherlands ranked in the Global Innovation Index. Last year it was number seven again, and I think we have a good basis uh, for innovation and thus also for the smart and sustainable economy that my party uh, wishes to, uh, to uh, develop and further develop. Um, we should lead uh, in certain uh, areas, for example also in healthcare uh, and medical uh, research. Uh, I myself am, a, uh, am in the healthcare uh, sector, so to say, and I think we should uh, take a step forward in that. The growth fund was uh, and is there with uh, billions of dollars, indeed uh, euros, uh, to, uh, to support uh, innovation, but also the climate fund uh, is there to support um, smart and sustainable econ economic uh, innovation developments. So in our perspective, we also need the people to work in these innovation, innov innovative uh, sectors, and these people need to make sure that they can pay their housing, their energy and their cars. 
Thank you very much, Judith Thiele of the VVD. Then let's move to the person next to you, Jan Joostes, CDA. You also already mentioned innovation as a topic that is yes. key interest. Yes, uh, well, it, it, it almost sounded like a rhetorical question. From, can, we make, can we make a living as, as the Eindhoven region? Yes, we definitely can. I mean, we are the most innovative region. We have obviously the high-tech, we have obviously ASML, but we have in the university completely new technologies being developed, like the salt batteries. Uh, so there's lots of sustainable uh, developments going on. But we also have tr more traditional industries. We have the most effective food industry in the world, which we can teach to the entire world. We have an agrotech sector where we have the most effective way of farming which we can also bring out to the world. So it's not just in making money here, but bringing better and more sustainable industry all over the world, which is, yes, we'll make a penny or two, but we'll also make a better world. Thank you very much, Jan Joost of CDA. And I, I sometimes get a feeling like we are preaching to the converted, talking about these topics here right in Eindhoven, but we may have to do that in The Hague. Offline you told me that indeed you're pushing uh, your colleagues in The Hague to, to also think about these uh, topics. And that may be a bit of a challenge of possibly also the candidates that we have here around the table who know that local uh, situation. Penzo, D66, uh, to what extent do you have to push your friends and colleagues in The Hague? Yeah, I don't need to push them because they already know what they have to do. And um, because innovation is very important for uh, D66 and, um, and we are ready to invest in it, especially um, if it leads to, uh, you know, green and it leads to, leads to more sustainability. Um, so uh, we want to invest, first of all. We want to come with uh, subsidized companies who are basically innovative, uh, innovative. and uh, we also are ready to, um, uh, to stimulate with 1 billion uh, uh, euros uh, per year uh, for companies who are ready to be more, uh, more green. And, um, and, and we are doing all of, uh, all of these uh, things, and we also are suggesting basically um, to come up with a private uh, public uh, bank um, just to uh, make sure that there is more and more uh, innovation. Thanks for that story from D66. From innovation then to a possibly related topic, well, it may be related, we can relate it, sustainability, the climate crisis, and we see a lot of impact of that on the Dutch citizen. And watching the news, there was something that surprised me a bit. There were demonstrations against subsidies on fossil fuel, and the Netherlands decided indeed to build uh, to, to, to stop to reduce the, the subsidies or the climate the, the, the tax rebates for fossil fuels. At the same time, when we see that it hurts the citizen, we see that there is a reluctance that um, the taxation on fuel for cars should be brought back but is delayed. There are a number of decisions not to bring back the accents of the benzine, so, uh, so to say. So maybe it's a bit provocative, but is the climate crisis severe enough such that we can let the individual people really feel the heat? And now I also see already a couple of people see that that indeed works as a provocative <laughs> question. So um, how do we handle that problem? If there is a scarcity, 
and there is not enough energy and we just help the poor citizens to pay more for their, their gas, simple economics say that the only thing that happens is that prices go up. And in the end, there will be huge profits by the utility companies. So all these mechanisms, the complication of a complicated system of how do you control that is hard. And I sometimes feel that the focus on relieving things for the individual citizen may in the long term not be the big effect that saves the world, that makes the world sustainable. Maybe I've thrown enough provocative statements into the audience that someone wants to, to, uh, to start. I see already a couple of people. <laughs> Eva already got the floor in, a, in the first round. No, yeah. I was just winking at Eva because obviously she thinks sustainability is very important. But I think we all do. I think we all can agree that sustainability and the crisis that comes along with it is very important. That's why we at CDA believe that we should take all measures, whether it's solar, wind, water, salt, but also nuclear, if need be. Um, when I was at school, I learned that if you set goals, they have to be smart. They have to be specific, measurable, acceptable, realistic, and time-driven. What we think is very important is that you do not uh, overrate your goals. Make them achievable, because otherwise people people will lose faith in it. And I think that is feasible with a lot of stuff that we are doing. Um, for example, we should, but the things that we should get started first, before, before we put Teslas all over the street, all over the street get, that in, get that energy infrastructure going first. So do it step by step, and then, yes, we will get there. And a big role is there also for the industry, where we can go step by step, we can move away from the fossil fuels. But if we do it too radical, too quick, then the industry, I'm sorry, Eva, but then the industry will suffer big. Thanks, Jan. And I already see Eva de Bruyne from PvdA pressing the microphone. Yeah, first, uh, a response. We, we don't set these goals because we find it fun, but because we have a climate crisis to solve. We don't have another choice. And last Sunday, I was on the climate march with 80,000 people, all demanding for uh, climate justice. Because the climate crisis demands immediate action in a just way. And that's why GroenLinks PvdA combines green and social politics. So I name four measures that we want to take. First of all, we want to generate green energy by investing in solar panels and windmills. And we make sure that the people in the neighborhoods can become owner of these solar panels and windmills so that they also can benefit from it. So that is that green and social politics. Secondly, we want to insulate all houses and start with the homes of people who cannot afford it themselves. And this is good for our climate, but also reduces the energy bill. Thirdly, we want to have more trains and less planes. That's why we increase the taxes on flying and invest in a fast and affordable train network. And lastly, we tax polluting companies by stopping with the billions of fossil subsidies and introducing an effective CO2 tax. And we support the industry and the companies that want to become more sustainable. So we think that green and social politics go hand in hand and it's necessary to fight this uh, climate crisis. Thanks, Eva. Andrew, you're pressing the microphone, so that's yes. just that D66 um, wants no, to No, I, I was uh, also uh, at the, the demonstration uh, which was there uh, Sunday in Amsterdam, um, and you know, there were 85,000 uh, people, even more uh, people, and, and, really, and that really says you know, 
and it was a record uh, so that really says that uh, for a lot of people it's uh, very important and uh, I, I don't understand why it's not on the top list of every debate uh, in the Netherlands um, because uh, for us as D66 it is one of the main uh, topic for, uh, for this, uh, for this uh, debate. Uh, for this election, we uh, have the first uh, minister of climate uh, with uh, Rob Yetten, who basically uh, hold a very high standard if it comes to climate. Uh, why we see the diff we already are witnessing uh, the differences now. We have the, the hottest uh, summer, and I don't know uh, if you can uh, if you see how many rain days we had just uh, uh, just just for now, and if you see what the consequences are, for instance, in uh, the continent of uh, of Africa. So the problem is very big, and it's now, and we are holding a very high standard to it to make sure that we reach the goals. Thanks for the D66 point of view. You are now keen to make comments on that from the perspective of Volt. Well, I'd like to very much add that we do have the technical solutions for that. As you mentioned, cost. It is actually factually pro possible to invest in public transport, expand that greatly, and for the last mile, we do already have light electric vehicles, the electric steps that you've seen, speed pedelecs, um, just in the current uh, climate, bureaucracy was so slow from the Netherlands compared to the rest of Europe that we have not implemented them yet. Uh, so much effort can be made into uh, transferring from cars to light electric vehicles um, that, we could, that we could solve the, this problem for uh, personal transport by tomorrow, actually. Thank you very much for a clear story on that. We go to the VVD. Judith Thielen. Yes, as I am in the former subject, I already said that we really want a smart and sustainable uh, economy, uh, or a green and clean economy, uh, the, way, the words you want to give for it. Uh, and I think we have the, the, um, the sources uh, to do so, but we need to do it uh, step by step. I mean, we also need the people to do so, and uh, it's, not a, it's not a good idea to really put the people against uh, the economy, uh, innovation, and, and growth to sustainability. So that's why we indeed want to invest in the energy mix, uh, like um, my colleague Jan from CDA already uh, said. So uh, wind, solar, but also nuclear to make sure that we can uh, become a CO2, CO2 carbon dioxide free uh, at a certain time. But really uh, step by step and make sure that we, t we take the people uh, with us because uh, we need them to make sure that we can uh, uh, achieve this uh, smart and sustainable economy. And maybe with that we wrap up the round on sustainability. There are more topics such as the one that Bino, well, Bino wants to, two more topics. Thank you, John Paul. Next time, I think we'll make a timer for questions too. <laughs> uh, so let's quickly move to the next one. It's about cybersecurity. We repeatedly hear that about data breach and security leak. So that cybersecurity has become a growing issue, and many companies have already been hacked. So what is your party's plan to get the Netherlands up to speed with modern day cybersecurity and protections. Please also detail if your plan includes involvement with the NCSC, police, military, or other organizations. And uh, let's start with uh, Jan Houston from CDA. Thank you. Um, well, when you look at cyber, cyber is actually the new gun. Um, 
we face it in all levels. We face it as small business owners, we, we face it as big food producers or big industry, but we also face it on a justice level, on intelligence level and on defense level. Um, so you could pretty much say that maybe cyber has become a matter of national security. Uh, on defense, funding has been increased considerably and a big portion of that is going to cyber security. We find it a bit disappointing that uh, on the intelligence and on the justice level, the increases are not there to give cybersecurity the support it needs to face the threats. Um, when it comes to companies, obviously every company has a responsibility of its own, but that's easy to say for the big companies, but a small business owner, then it's a different level altogether. And there, I think, as maybe national, but maybe also local, uh, we, should be, we should be looking at helping these people out and getting their cybersecurity uh, up, to, up to standard to face the threats that are coming from all over. Thank you, Jan. Let's hear it from uh, Judith VVD. Yeah, thank you. And uh, if you look for safety and security, then uh, look for the VVD, because those are our key uh, focus uh, areas. And indeed, we're worried about the level that cyber uh, is playing in security uh, questions. Uh, cyber attacks to companies, but also think of hospitals and other healthcare uh, organizations. My colleague, uh, Queenie Rajkowski, uh, has been very busy uh, um, uh, paying, uh, um, strengthening the rules and strengthening also the powers that are within indeed police, military forces, etc., to make sure that cyber uh, can be um, pre prevented uh, or um, um, uh, solved. Uh, so indeed, we'd like to have stronger capacities uh, in, these, in those areas and also have attention points for small and medium uh, enterprises, but also, like I said already, healthcare organizations that don't have the uh, cyber force themselves, but we need to work together to make sure that we don't, um, yeah, um, that we don't, um, yeah, how you say it, that we don't get uh, cyber attacks that we, that have a very, very a big and negative impact on uh, the people in the country. Thank you, Judith. And let's hear it from uh, Panzu D6. Yeah, sorry, I, I just um, uh, wanted to go first. Um, um, I'm now getting a little bit off topic maybe, but because they said uh, for security you have to be at the VVD. And I always ask myself, security for who? Uh, because I have been, of course, uh, a victim of racial profiling uh, for years. And of course, that's the, you know, the policy of the VVD to uh, make sure that, uh, uh, and I think it's even in your program still, that um, you want to allow people, you want to allow the government to racial profiling. But okay, so security for who? Um, if you talk about cyber security, I think that um, um, this is a cross-border issue. And um, so it means that for us, it is very important to have a European uh, approach uh, to it. Um, and I believe that the government should have also, should be also more resilient to it. So we should also invest in more training and more knowledge uh, to our police, uh, etc. And you ask specifically about the NCSC, uh, uh, where well, we believe that the NCSC uh, should be, uh, you know, like a real, uh, you know, very important 
uh, like a web, basically, uh, to prevent cyber attacks. Uh, they should be the one to monitor, should be one to inform, and uh, they should be, should be the ones to basically, uh, um, you know, uh, come up with all those uh, those things. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Panzo. Let's hear it from. Uh, Can I give Valerie? one remark? Because I, re I really feel offended uh, by. Uh, Could you keep it short? Yeah, I, feel, I really feel offended that Mpanzu says uh, your, your, uh, your party is into racial uh, profiling and uh, still in the pro... That's not, that's not the case, and I hope uh, you can uh, take those words back, because... In the, in no, no, we, we, can, we can look at your program at this moment, and uh, every party I was asked the question if they want to have ethnicity as one of the risk profiles, um, um, you know, when you are basically uh, looking for uh, criminals, etc. And the VVD um, is one of the party that, you know, wants to continue with those risk profiles, even though uh, this led to the Tuslag affair, even though uh, this led to a lot of uh, issues on racial profiling, uh, for instance, at uh, the border police. Uh, so for me, I'm very shocked to read it in your program. I think here we can agree to disagree at this moment and uh, move on. If you want more uh, information on this, you can always uh, use the web stem visor and exactly the, the questions are there. Let's hear it from uh, Valerie Fold. Even since past elections, we as Volt always wanted to have a Ministry of Digital Affairs as well as Alderman of Digital Affairs, since this is such an important topic that really needs more attention, because both in terms of cybersecurity, but also in terms of wanting to have an open algorithm registry to combat, for example, ethnic profiling, uh, or at least have that visible to us all that uh, what we are doing and we can actually uh, con uh, control what we are doing. Next, next, to that, next to that, I want to add on what Jan Joosten said, it's a, it's a matter of national security. And that's why Volt also wants to increase the budget on defense to, our, to the 2% that has been standardized by NATO, and a significant portion of that should go to, to cybersecurity in of itself. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, the reason why I find data and digitalization such an important po uh, topic is not because I'm a tech nerd, but because algorithms and data can lead to discrimination, to racism. Um, so I, I really feel your, your comment as well. And I'm glad that also Jesse Klaver von GroenLinks did a proposal in uh, the national government to ban nationality and ethnicity from algorithms that the uh, government is using. That is just one step um, to avoid these kind of uh, big risks. Um, besides uh, that comment, um, um, yeah, we want to invest in cybersecurity by investing in a national cyber center and making companies responsible for pr protecting the data of their IT products and services. But also, I don't know if any one of you has been hacked before, but we want to uh, invest in the digital literacy of our citizens as well, starting by making kids interested in technology on primary school. because. In this digital world, we need to be aware of the opportunities, but especially also of the risk of uh, using technology. Thank you. Uh, let's move on quickly to the next question. And if you can wrap it up even before one minute, that would be ideal, because considering the fact there are questions from the audience. Um, what investments does your party support in the regional public transport and rail, uh, railroad access, connecting more regions to each other and to Randstad? 
please elaborate on your on your party stand in excise duty on petrol gas and diesel and also about electric car subsidies and other electric or solar powered mobility thank you and let's start from sedia uh, yanu well first of all let's let's get that public transport going uh, i i checked it once uh, if you want to travel by public transport from the south of Eindhoven to the north of Eindhoven, it'll take you an hour. If you take the car, you'll be there in 15 minutes. So let's get that public transport going. Uh, but we are working on it. Uh, our alderman Stein Steinbachers is working hard to get that new bus station going in Eindhoven. So there is hope. Um, international rail connections, definitely a go. We should go for that. Be inventive because reachability is a basic right. I think Judith will also elaborate from personal experience today. I question the 50 minutes part in your, uh, <laughs> your story. But for a smart and sustainable economy, you also need a smart and sustainable uh, transport, um, uh, public transport, but also cars. Uh, but then again, step by step. Uh, uh, but we need to invest in uh, um, greening and cleaning, indeed, uh, our, all our uh, transportation, but also make sure that indeed public transport is all across the country uh, available and affordable. So we need to make sure that uh, buses and trains are there also in, well, let's say the edges of the Netherlands. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think Eindhoven is an edge of the Netherlands, but we need, uh, we need also to make sure that everywhere in the Netherlands you can easily train or bus from the one city to the other uh, in a smart and sustainable way, step by step. Thank you, and let's hear it from Valerie Wold. An extremely short, yes, yes. In a, in, a, in a little bit longer, yeah, we do, uh, we do need to increase public transport, and yes, we want a system unlike Singapore or Tokyo, where you, where you can be anywhere in a, in a city as large as the Netherlands itself in 45 minutes everywhere. Those efforts need to be increased. Um, uh, and I think my colleagues next to me will agree on me with that. Thank you. And uh, Eva? Yeah, it won't be a surprise, but uh, GroenLinks PvdA wants to uh, stimulate that people take sustainable alternatives for transport. Because that's necessary to tackle climate change, to uh, breathe healthy air, but also to live in livable uh, neighborhoods. And that's why we invest in our public transport, especially in the regions, by arranging more bus and train stops and a higher frequency as well. Um, and furthermore, we want to tr make tra uh, traveling by train more uh, affordable, not only by reducing the taxes on labor, but also by introducing a climate ticket for the train, with which you can travel for 49 euros a month. Um, and we invest, of course, in an international train network so that we can go for less planes and more trains. Uh, and personally, I really can recommend uh, an interrail trip to Europe. It's uh, the nicest holiday to, uh, to have. Thank you. And uh, now from D66. But yes, we want to invest in uh, public transportation, uh, make sure that uh, um, you know, all places are um, really good, uh, accessible. Um, we also want to make sure that you know, when you're driving your car, that it's more fair, uh, depending on how much you uh, drive the, the car. Um, this is something that we also want to make sure that all business cars are um, electric. Uh, at a certain uh, point. Thank you. 
Let's give them applause. <laughs> um, also, thank you, Jean Paul, for uh, co moderating. Let's quickly move to the last segment of today. Uh, I would like to invite uh, uh, Robin Pascal from uh, Dutch News on the stage to join Bina. I have to know it. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'd like to echo what Bina said, actually, to start with, and I'm really pleased to see that there are so many people here tonight. And I hope that the candidates, and it's great that so many of you have come, will take back a message that the international community in the Netherlands is not living in a bubble, does care about what's going on around it, might like to have the right to vote, and is very interested in the elections, even if they can't vote. Um, we did a survey on Dutch News to see what your views were, what you thought the big issues were, and they've been covered tonight. They were my questions, so I don't know what I'm going to ask the candidates, but uh, you know, we'll do our best when we get to that. But you might like to know, Jan, bad news for you, I'm afraid. We did do a poll on Dutch News to see who the biggest parties were and what our readers would vote for. Bad news for the CDR, but the other four, the big four parties in our poll are all on the platform tonight, so uh, that's uh, good news for them. And um, Actually, Dutch News would have a two-party coalition, not what we're going to have, a four-party coalition or a five-party coalition. So, uh, you know, bear that in mind too. Um, as I said, um, most of my questions have been answered, so I'm going to be quite sharp in, in, in formulating what I'm, going to, what I'm going to talk about. We've talked already about the fact that the Netherlands needs its international workforce and that housing is in short supply. But what I'd like to know is how the candidates are going to ensure that the people who come to work and study here next year have a place to live. Because of course, as we know, things take a long time to move in the Netherlands and we can be full of ideas of building houses. But what are we going to do to make sure the people who are coming to study at the two or who are coming to work at ASML in January or February next year have somewhere to live? And perhaps I'd like to start with you, Did, if you don't mind. <laughs> and to echo one of my colleagues, I would say uh, to build, to build, to build. <laughs> uh, there's a housing, uh, housing uh, issue actually on, on every level. So uh, both the social uh, housing as the middle uh, rent housing as the let's call it the premium housing, there's all shortages in it. So we really need to build housing. And in the, in the meantime, I think we need to make sure that flex housing, so flexible houses that can be put in uh, some groups uh, in uh, municipalities need to be uh, put there uh, more often in, uh, in agreement with municipalities to make sure that even for a few years time, uh, people have time uh, to, to, to seek a house. And in the meantime, we build, we build. We build. Yeah, that's that's yeah, and but but then then one minute is a little bit too short because then you come uh, you come to to talk about uh, uh, certain other uh, issues that we have um, uh, that we're trying to solve. I think, but uh, yeah, you're you're right. But and let's let's see where flex housing can can be a, a temporary but very practical solution. Okay, Jan, what about you? Well, first of all, I hope, uh, I hope I broke the tendency tonight by showing that we are a pretty okay club after all. So, who knows? Maybe you might change your mind. Uh, but when it comes to housing, we think uh, tiny housing could be a solution. Uh, instant housing could be a solution because those are building methods that couldn't be set up within weeks, not years. Because actual big building plans 
take forever to realize, and we have to be we have to be honest about that. But uh, for example, for international students, another uh, another option we believe in, for example, is living in, uh, because there is a lot of families living, for example, here in Eindhoven, living on their own, using houses where there are like three, four bedrooms. We could help international students or even workers in the first stage by housing them with families. Um, because what we need is quick results. Exactly. Um, what about you, Ava? Yeah, it's really difficult to find an affordable home at the moment. And landlords are exploiting renters and the amount of homeless people also has been increased. And it's also because of the policies of the last decade in which the national government presented the housing market to investors as something you can make a lot of profit with, while having a home is a basic human right. And furthermore, housing corporations had to pay millions of penalty taxes before they had less money Ava, to build I'm houses. I'm going to interrupt you here. Yeah. I want your solutions for the people coming next year, not what the government's done wrong. Well, and that's why I come to now. Uh, firstly, we want to build more social and mid-rental houses by putting um, the housing corporations back in position and stop with the profit tax so that they can really build again. Secondly, we want to uh, make sure that renters get a permanent rental contract instead of flexible rental contracts in which you need to move out uh, after a year. And we are really proud with the proposal of Hulings PvdA that arranged this uh, last week. And lastly, we put a cap on the prices of mid-rental houses so that people also can get an affordable home. But I want to, to show actually that this is also, it's not just a crisis, but it is uh, consequences of policy choices that have been made, and that's why I uh, had this introduction as well. Yeah, I'm very happy that uh, she already introduced uh, the introduction, so I don't need to do it. Thank you, Eva, for that. She should have more seconds uh, for that. Um, yes, so it's it's, a, it's a, you know the, the this is the consequences of policy uh, um, you know decision that has been made, and um, for us it is important that you know uh, for instance also the universities the institutions also take their responsibility in, in a short period, and also uh, the companies like the big companies uh, I think that the ASML is already taking their uh, responsibilities and other big companies, but it should be uh, more uh, according to uh, according to us. And, and we also believe of the, 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 you know, we are always talking about building, 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 but building for who? And that's also very important to look at, you know, to make sure that there is a match between, uh, you know, the, the things that we are building for and, um, um, and the people who actually uh, need it. Um, and the last thing I want to say is that our party, um, in the last uh, few weeks, we focused on, you know, also building for people uh, with, with um, uh, less income. Uh, to have more uh, houses for them. Of course, one thing is that most of the people here aren't are entitled to social housing, but there isn't any because uh, we'll come to that. Valerie, what about you? Yes, to come actually on topic for the people next year. Um, I've always been a very big proponent here in the municipality about uh, splitting houses and. Um, um, splitting, splitting a house into multiple rooms. Currently is relatively difficult for all kinds of other um, reasons and the necessity of, of uh, the, 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 the current homelessness problem, we have to be more lenient there. And as such, I would think that would be a great policy to implement staff. Okay, thank you. Okay, the... Um 
Housing was the biggest issue in our poll, and the second biggest issue in our poll was the cost of living. Now, we've heard a lot in the campaign, and we've heard quite a lot this evening here about Bestandsrecht, the right to be financially secure. Um, and there is a myth that all expats are high earners. They're blamed for putting up rents. Uh, they get the 30% ruling and they all earn 120,000 a year. And you know, everybody here who works at the university knows that's not true. Um, many people don't realize the salary requirement to be a highly skilled migrant is as low as 2,600 euros if you're young or just 1,500 euros if you're a researcher. And that's why, when I hear the 30% ruling arguments, I think that these people are very low paid. Um, so what I'd like to ask the panel now is, how are you going to make sure that people who are not rich expats are financially secure now? I'm not talking about in five years' time when we've got a new government or new policies have been introduced. I'd like to start with you, Mpanzu. Yeah. Um, you know what, what we are basically doing. Um, uh, of course, if we if we are allowed to do it, uh, and we are in government, uh, is to make sure that that we lower the tax uh, for paid uh, income now, right? And we are ready to invest in it. Uh, I believe it's uh, 14 billion uh, euros uh, to invest in that. Uh, so this is one thing, and I already said before, uh, the other thing which we are trying to do is to make sure that the, the minimum wage, that it uh, it's, it's increases uh, to uh, €17.50. Uh, um, that's the other thing that we, are wanna, we, that we want to do. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, we are living in a system which is very complex, and we want to make the system of tax uh, less complex, um, uh, so we want to go to a system without toeslagen and with free childcare. Thank you. And what about you, Judith? You missed out on our discussion on this earlier, but uh, now you get the chance. Oh, I'm very curious about what I missed then. <laughs> <laughs> Probably nice and interesting stuff. Well, as, as said before, uh, uh, the VVD never likes to raise taxes, so uh, we, we, we prefer to lower them, both on labor and on energy and uh, overall. Uh, we, we voted against the 30% uh, ruling, but we need to make sure that indeed, uh, if, you, if you have a, a salary, uh, because you work... Uh, full-time, so to say, that you are able to pay your housing, to pay your, uh, your uh, energy and insurance, and that you can uh, uh, do your groceries and have some nice, nice money to do nice things uh, left to it. So that's how we look at it, and we need to uh, lower the taxes and make an easier refund system for the people who need it. Um, well, uh, when we look at the cost of living, I think it's unavoidable to look at inflation. Because at the end of the day, what does inflation mean? Stuff gets more expensive. And I think everyone is experiencing the same thing. If you have a bag of groceries, you're paying double the price. That's pretty much what's happening. That's why the cost of living is so dear. So what we should attack is not giving more away, but looking at how we can reduce the cost of living by beating inflation. Now, three main reasons for inflation to rise are costs, staff shortage, and government spendings. Surprise, surprise. So if we attack that, then we attack inflation. And when we attack inflation, life gets cheaper. I hope so. 
Well, as uh, my colleague Panzu uh, told, uh, said, uh, we need to restructure the bonuses, and we have a perfect system for that. We, uh, we presented that for, for, with pride, and, you, and the universal basic bonus is going to help you and uh, reduce poverty on the lowest ends by half, by half, without even making the national debt even higher. Um, and as such, I think that's a very, very beautiful solution to this. What about putting up the wages of people who work as researchers? Because universities, after all, sorry, if I got that on, I can't tell here. I must be going blind. Um, but people who work as researchers are earning 1,500, 1,600 euros, but universities are using the 30% ruling to not pay them enough. So what can we do about that? Valerie. Well, in this financial system, um, uh, it, um, actually co companies can actually compete and working more actually earns you more, um, as well as we want to increase the efforts on subsidies on innovation, which also includes universities. Thank you. And Ava, where do you stand? Yeah, um, maybe a, a tip also to the people who want to make a choice. Um, the CPB also has calculations of the uh, several programs of political parties, and then you also see the effects on the economy, on the Koopkracht purchasing power, um, uh, on uh, what it means for people with low income or with mid-income. So I recommend you also to look at these calculations um, as well. Uh, what GroenLinks PvdA um, um, regarding us, we now have um, a complex system of all kinds of allowances, healthcare allowance, rent allowance, childcare allowance, um, and sometimes you get an allowance, but then after a while you have to pay it back because your income appears to be too high, so that makes it super stressful. And we want to make the system actually more simple by making these allowances um, unnecessary in the future by uh, increasing the property tax for the rich people with a lot of property. And in that way, we can decrease the tax on labor, raise the mini minimum wage to 16 euros, and also increase the social benefits for uh, people. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ava. Now, the, the third issue uh, of concern in our readers' poll was healthcare, and it's not something we've actually touched on this evening at all. So um, I'd like to look at that just temporarily. Um, Insurance companies have just announced their premiums. They're going up by about an average of nine euros a month. Um, health insurance companies are lowering the, the, the freedom of choice. So you might have less choice about where you can go to a doctor or a hospital. And healthcare benefit, which many of you here may also qualify for, is also being cut. Um, so what measures are the parties recommending to make sure that healthcare remains affordable and that people can still get the care they need and not just be told to take a paracetamol. Jan, I'd like to start with you. Well, um, I think we have to be realistic um, because costs of healthcare are rising through the roof dramatically. That does have a cost that we all have to bear together. It's a, solidarity. It's, a, it's, a, it's a solidarity system in Holland that the healthy are also paying the same amount of, uh, of insurance as the people who are suffering from uh, bad health. So it is, in a certain way, a justice system, even though, yes, it is becoming more expensive. But that's the reality. We have more costs to bear, also because we have more elderly people. When it comes to uh, the freedom of choice, 
it is possible. You can, you can have that application, but it is more expensive again. Um, we, we ourselves believe that we should not increase the own risk, that we should keep it at the level as it is now. Uh, but what we mostly want is to reduce cost in healthcare, more efficiency, less paper pushing, more care. That's what we need. What about a tax on sugar or meat? Um, well, you were, you, were, uh, you were mentioning freedom of choice. I think that's also part of freedom of choice, to be honest. I'll accept that one. Eva, what about you? Yeah, uh, GroenLinks PvdA chooses to stop with the healthcare allowance and invest that money to decrease the healthcare premiums that you have to pay each month. So then your monthly uh, costs will be uh, lower. Well, furthermore, we focus on uh, prevention, innovation, and reduction of bureaucracy so that people are more healthier and need less healthcare, but also that healthcare employees have less uh, workloads. Uh, and re regarding your um, uh, comment on the paracetamol, I think it's really important that healthcare providers also are uh, cultural sensitive and aware of cultural differences because I heard a lot of international citizens that are really surprised actually by how some doctors approach them. I think that is also a thing people should uh, uh, learn to deal with, yeah, especially in this international environment, to deal with these different kinds of uh, cultures in the uh, healthcare sector. Thank you, Abram. And Panzi, what about you? No, I do agree with the last one. Uh, I, I, agree, I agree with more that she said, but especially the last one, because I experienced it in my whole life, actually, the way um, you know, our healthcare system um, is basically uh, approaching uh, people from a um, you know, migrant background, and we don't receive the best care because of that, and uh, one of the things that I heard uh, when my mother was sick is that uh, maybe you are having pain because people from Africa are always crying about pain. You know, so let's just give you a paracetamol, like you just uh, said. So um, this, this, this really happens, this discrimination in the healthcare system. And I think that this is uh, something that we should, we should attack. Uh, one of the, my colleagues in Parliament is already coming with an initiative to attack that, uh, that issue. So um, another thing that we think is important, I, I agree with uh, Jan Joosten, who's saying that we don't have the best quality um, uh, of healthcare here in the Netherlands, and we should really do everything possible to uh, approve it. And to us, uh, I see my time is over, but to us, it is important that uh, the elderly people get the best care uh, as close as uh, possible from their own uh, home. Thank you. So the, uh, the current system is actually quite perverse with our own deductible or own risk, uh, uh, literally translated. The lowest income people are actually being denied in healthcare because even those 400 euros a year is quite a lot to even go to the doctor and being afraid of that. Involved, we want to get rid of that entirely. And um, so not even freezing them, but just removing the, uh, the deductible altogether. Thank you. <laughs> That's why you did well in our poll. Um, <laughs> Judith, what about you? The thing about this subject is that I can talk hours and hours of it because I'm uh, currently in Parliament uh, 
concerning healthcare. So uh, the thing is that uh, we have the Social Cultural Plan Bureau. Do you know that? SCP. They do researches all across the Netherlands. And if they ask people, uh, where do you want the government to spend more money with healthcare is in the top three. So it's, it's something we really uh, think is very valuable. At the same time, last week the new premium costs were uh, published and everybody was in, through the roof because again it's, it's growing. And it's not only the premium, but look at your salary, uh, uh, salary form uh, and there's also healthcare cost on your salary form which is a, per a percentage of your salary. And also you pay taxes and also the tax goes to healthcare. So we really need to make long-term agreements to make sure that we don't uh, uh, increase the cost uh, too much. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we need the long-term agreements and we need to put, I call it meaningful care. At the moment, uh, a lot of care is just given because somebody has a complaint and then the whole protocol goes. And even all elderly people with a lot of diseases at the same time are treated. Whereas as we grow old, we need to discuss and anticipate on what do we need and, and that way uh, decrease the number of uh, care. Uh, uh, at least we don't have all the people to take the care. Thank you. That's, uh, that's, my, uh, that's your top three, actually. Our readers' top three. And um, I've heard your answers. Thank you. Now let's... Um, conclude this debate with uh, one question to all of the candidates here. I think that would have been on all of your minds. So uh, we heard a lot this evening, okay, about issues which are of great importance uh, to the international community and otherwise. So what is the one thing that um, makes your party different from the rest? And a reason the international Dutch or the naturalized Dutch or the new Dutch, as we call them, should vote for you. This is your one minute, and let's be on the dot. Let's uh, start from Eva Groenlinks. Oh, I have to improvise. <laughs> well, if it's about climate change, inequality, or housing, uh, GroenLinks and Pay van der A show that by collaborating and working together, we can actually tackle these societal issues together. And I also think that we need more social designers in politics. I'm a social designer myself, and I think we can use this creativity uh, to come up with creative solutions for these societal problems, but also to make sure that we can involve more citizens in politics. There's now a huge gap between politics and young people, students, newcomers. And I think that by the creative brainstorm solutions uh, and methods of designers, we can um, uh, have a different kind of politics in uh, the national government. And I think that is really necessary. So if you vote for uh, GroenLinks Pay van de A, you vote for a social, progressive and green country. That was on the dot. Now from the progressive uh, day 66. Yes, D66 is a party that doesn't only talk about change, but also brings uh, change. Uh, me, myself, in 2018, when I was uh, stopped at the border because of my race, um, I started uh, a lawsuit together with uh, human rights uh, organizations. And this lawsuit uh, took me like uh, three to five years before there was an end ruling. And this end ruling was uh, positive. Um, the Netherlands could no longer a racial profile. 
And that was uh, an example of how we deal things uh, in uh, D66. So we don't only talk about change, but we also bring that change. And now I want to go to a parliament uh, to not only um, um, finish uh, you know, racial profiling at the Board of Police, but also to attack institutional racism uh, in all institutions of, uh, of government, because this is a very uh, um, uh, hard issue. And our party as a whole, we also uh, focus um, on climate action. Uh, we focus on fair economy, and we always put education first. That's why you should vote for us. Yes, Valerie. Uh, so Volt is quite a young, small party. But it's a very positive party, a party full of hope. And as well as my, my predecessor said, uh, we bring solutions. We actually design them. And I just I told you about them today, about our universal basic bonus, about scratching the own deductible. Um, we focus on climate, people, and feasibility. Let's hear it from uh, Vivide, Judith. Yeah, thank you. And uh, preferably, I would I would have just a one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with you. But okay, you asked me to uh, to do it to the group. I'm convinced that uh, people are unique individuals with unique uh, talents, and they have a natural sense of caring for each other. Uh, people need freedom so that they can take a responsibility to make choices that are best for them and the people around them and the communities uh, they live in. So I'm, and that's the guideline we use as a party. So give people the space, uh, but set the boundaries and make sure that together uh, we can make uh, make a nice and free and welfaring country because that's healthy for us all. Um, so vote VVD. And. Jan, I think you're very ready. I am, I am very ready. Um, YCDA, pretty simple, decency. That's what we do. We are decent, we are ambitious, but we are realistic. Well, we, always, we like to focus on communities instead of individuals, because it's the community that you need. You need somebody who has got your back. That's why there is no I in CDA. So if you like community, and if you like your friends and your family, and people who care, because that's what we do, we care, then vote for us, CDA. Thank you, Jan. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was very insightful. At least it was helping me for next week. So uh, let's move to the most exciting uh, session, Q&A. I have a lot of questions myself, but let's uh, uh, move to the audience. So uh, one practical information, so people who are sitting in the front, they have mic. So when you press the button, yeah, so your mic will be active. Please turn it off once you're done with your question. Plus your video will be on the screen. So if you don't want yourself on the screen, I will be standing at the back. You can also give me a question. I can also uh, read your question. Uh, second, people who are on the back side, you don't have mic there, so you have to come to the to the rostrum, to the dice there, and then uh, say your question. So we will open the session for Q and A. Yeah? Thank you, Yawar. Um, if there are any students here, let's go with the question from a student. I don't see any. Okay, let's go. Open the floor to questions. Oh, yeah. Sorry. 
I mean, I... And uh, you can address your question to uh, any specific... Uh... Um, it's not, I mean, not specifically, just in general. So I just finished my studies and I wanted to ask specifically, is the reason why I actually came here today, was to also ask, uh, what are you guys going to do about the student loans? Because in 2015, when I got the loan, the interest was barely like zero point something. And now recently um, it has increased almost six times. And uh, there was uh, petitions from, from, uh, from students and it has decreased, but it is still quite expensive. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you, what are your plans for the students which are in my situation? Thank you. And uh, who would want to take the question? Okay, Valerie. So in our current program, we want to forgive 10,000 euros for the generation that has um, been known as the pech generatie, as well as freezing the uh, rent at the moment to 0% uh, in favor of uh, searching for longer term solutions and find a more equal uh, point. We involved are, 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 are quite uh, a young party as well. Also, to, uh, a lot of people who have studied, myself as well, have exactly those problems. So, so we, so we, so, so we actually experience what we are talking about uh, in, in, the, in these kinds of regards. Thank you. Uh, one more person, if you want to add one more candidate, or we can move to the next question. Is that okay? Okay. Let's. Uh, if there are any other questions. Uh, yes, please go ahead. So uh, I want to talk about, my name is Hari. <clears throat> I want to talk about the sustainability and new world order topic that was raised by him and that was quite nice. Uh, uh, somewhere I feel like uh, uh, we, were we are dictated by the big brother. For example, uh, uh, the buying of the oil, uh, I see that India, which is usually an importer of oil, is now exporting 7.4 billion million barrels of oil, which is like 600% more than what it was doing. And that, was, and that is the export to the Europe alone. And what India does is process Russian oil and then sell it to Europe. Are we having like, uh, you know, double standards that, okay, we don't buy from Russia, we don't talk there, but then we buy from India. Uh, and then the second thing is that somewhere I feel like we're also dictated more from the alliance partners because uh, we are also, somewhere I also heard the debate that whom we are supposed to sell our technology and whom we are not supposed to sell our te technology is coming from somebody else and not from the Netherlands itself. So uh, those are some of the things that bothers me because uh, if somebody else dictates our, our, how we want to conduct our way of living, then it also increases the cost, stop short, yeah, well, then inflation and then everything is attributed to it. So I want to ask this, like, why can't we take a stand by ourselves and why we always rely on, on yeah, bigger brothers? Okay, this time we go with um, anyone but Valerie because she's already had her... Uh... I'll, I'll have a go at this. It's a, it's a pretty, t pretty tough question, to be honest. Um, we, uh, I think uh, because we have bigger brothers, yes, we do. Uh, when it comes to, te to technology, we have a very big brother at the, end of the ocean, at the other end of the ocean who is telling us not to send chip technology to a certain country. I think that's what you're referring to. Um, I think we do make a stand there. And I do not believe that the United States, in this case, are dictating us what to do. But we are discussing it, and then 
we find mutual ground that maybe it's not wise to send a certain technology to China in this case. Um, we have bigger brothers, we have smaller brothers, whether it's in Europe, whether it's NATO, whether it's Western world, there is always bigger brothers and smaller brothers. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the word brother is very nice because that exactly means when, when brothers can argue, but they, at the end of the day, they'll find a solution to work it out together. And I think that's, what hap that's what's happening on a global scale when it comes to technology and um, actually in a, in, uh, in a big part of geopolitics. Hope this answers your question. <laughs> Partly. That was, well, that was direct and straight yeah. and wonderful. Well, there is an after drink, so... <laughs> and the answers were very young. <laughs> uh, so who would like to? Yes, please. My name is Chinmay. I'm from India originally. <clears throat> Living here more than 15 years, so I'm going to vote for sure. I'm fully Dutch. Uh, thank you all for participation and good information. Uh, one request for all of you, and especially Jan mentioned that uh, whenever the government formation will start, we would all non-native Dutch would like to see some smart objective and not six months waiting period, then we will f hear that who will be the part of the government. So please consider this. I will have uh, questions about two to three different part of question. I will cover it within one minute. Uh, we all will have, we, we all will uh, are having CAOs rise, so government indirectly controlling those rises, and we have uh, nice salary rise without doing anything in a way. But we all feel that uh, there are rises in terms of healthcare cost rise or gasoline cost rise, and those all are eating away our. CEO rise. So it, in, in a way, it doesn't make sense to have both going higher and higher. If you look at the other European countries like Spain, Italy, where there are cost of living are less, but also incomes are less. So they are balancing out much in a different way. I would not say better, but it's a different way. We are talking about bonuses, Tuzla going away and those kind of things, but I don't see there where are we going to earn money. So the government, whoever forms government, how are we going to earn money? So that's also something each party or some of you can in give us insight that would help us. And yes, we can increase taxation on the corporate, but corporate taxation is not the best in Netherlands, which used to be 15 years ago. Other co European countries are leading there also. So there also we need to consider that is it the right way to increase corporate tax or how are we going to tackle that? Because we still want to be the innovative country, which we are today after 15 or 20 years from now now, especially for my kids, who is going to live here. The last part of my question is about all HSMs are coming here, all asylum people are coming here, and refugees are coming, and all are welcome, I fully agree. But how are we going to keep the Dutch culture alive? Because that's why we are here for 15 years. We still like the bikes, tulips, but that, those are not only for fun. Those needs to be stayed here for longer and longer period. So how are we going to do that? And we enjoyed that. That's why we stayed here 15 years or longer. Sorry for long question, but anybody can give us insight. Thank you. Thank you. I think we need to split the question and maybe split um, the people answering it as well. Judith, do you want to take a go? 
I, I'd like to take a go, but it, it requires more than just a quick qu a question and answer. I, uh, uh, but w welcome to be here for 15 years already, and, and you look like you, you love it, and you say you love it, so that's, uh, that's always nice. Um, what you said about the different economies uh, in Europe with uh, 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 salaries and, and cost of living, uh, yes, that's true. Also in Spain, the unemployment rate is much higher, so it, it's all really different types of economies. And uh, in the European Union, and especially in the Euro Eurozone, of course, we have agreements how to make sure that your economy stays healthy, but also uh, uh, starts to become smart and uh, sustainable. So on a European level, there's also agreements on it, but let's m please make sure, at least I think, that in the Netherlands we can um, decide what tax uh, uh, percentages, etc., we do in the Netherlands and not uh, bring that to the European Union. I don't know whether you asked, but <laughs> here's the answer. Um, uh, and from, yeah, on corporate taxation, I, I I fully agree. I think uh, we should be... Um, I think the, the climate in the Netherlands is becoming a little bit like uh, let the big companies pay, let the big companies go away, etc., etc. But also working and employment is important for our health and our economy. Uh, and in other countries, it may be less good as well. So let's make sure that we can uh, enable the companies in the Netherlands to improve, innovate, and become smart and sustainable. Thank you. Uh, we will just take two more questions. Um, I see a lot of hands there. So maybe, yeah, from there you can come to the microphone there. And don't forget that you will have plenty of opportunities to get one-on-one uh, -on -one to them uh, when we have drinks and networking downstairs in the Hall 100. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, we really do appreciate uh, uh, this event. My question is going to be a bit complex, but fairly ideological, because uh, I've heard you speak about curbing uh, demand about uh, about uh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, curbing demand, curbing flow of migration, uh, and mitigating problems. But in a concrete way, I haven't heard about how to incentivize uh, good behavior. Because ultimately, I do believe that like, uh, in a problem that is of infinite growth in a finite system, uh, the real solution is people. The real, uh, the real solution is to incentivize communities, to incentivize collaboration. And yes, there's a lot of big talk about like communities and care about people, but in real terms and real actions, where do you see that? Eva or Panzu, do you want to take it? <laughs> Yeah, because it's about migration, I wanted to take it. Um, uh, but uh, I, I don't understand the, the question fully, so, so I'm just... Yeah, just... so it's not really about migration, it's more about ideology and how you stand on uh, uh, how to incentivize and, and help people like take the correct decisions. So it's further than migration, it's further than just taxation, it's at your core, ideology, what do you want to do? You know, if, if it's, um, you know, uh, up to uh, my party, uh, we are a social um, liberal party, right? So for us, uh, freedom, uh, democracy, and equality are, you know, in the core of our uh, party. So if it's up to us, 
um, we are very much for individual freedom. So everybody should be able to live their life as they want with the culture that they have, um, you know, so we don't talk about the Dutch culture. I mean, it's what we make of it uh, together, uh, living here in the Netherlands. So for us, individual freedom is very important. And, um, and, and we do believe that if people uh, cannot uh, make it for themselves, then the government should be there uh, to help them, uh, help them out. Thank you. Like, I understand and, and, and that. That's, oh, sorry. So, you know, and, and that's the culture we would like to have, of course, uh, if, it's, uh, you know, if it's us. So for us, uh, you know, solidarity as well is very important in, in society that we you know, look uh, out for each other, basically. And, um, and, and, and not necessarily, of course, look at the government. But uh, if there is no one, of course, the government should be there. And the last thing that maybe I uh, want to say about mm -hmm. this, uh, for us, the role of the government is also very important. You know, uh, I personally really believe in a government for, uh, by and of the people, and a government that really, um, you know, um, that, that really is doing things for, for the people, for society, uh, instead of... Uh, thinking, uh, having a government that mistrusts uh, its society. So, and I hope that uh, we'll we will have a much more culture like that uh, together. A, a society that trusts each other instead of mistrusts each other. And that help each other instead of, you know, um, just thinking about themselves. Thank you. And uh, one of you, please feel free to come and ask the next question. And that will be the final question. Please. Oh, you can, you can die. Yeah. Good evening. Thank you. My name is Diana Angelova. I initiate, support, or run several nonprofit organizations and initiatives in Eindhoven. As professional, as well as citizen, and as voter, I'm also concerned about inclusion, social cohesion, and also equal opportunities. I'd like to hear your stance on addressing discrimination in our society based on foreign uh, names, foreign backgrounds. The so-called discriminatie op grond van herkomst, nationale en etnische achtergrond, of niet Nederlands klinkende achternaam. My concrete question is, what steps or policies do you propose to ensure that individuals with diverse backgrounds or names are not unfairly disadvantaged in areas such as employment? Thank you. Let's hear it from Eva. Yeah, thank you. And a really uh, important issue that you uh, address and especially in a social and progressive country that we want to be, we need to tackle this. Um, because you see it in a lot of different uh, topics. You see it if, if, if you find, uh, try to find a house. Uh, you have the Dutch-only houses where international students uh, encounter um, internship discrimination. Um, well, we were talking about technology and, and racial pro profiling, so it's um, in all um, a parts of our society. So we want to um, uh, tackle this by, for example, um, um, I, I, I find the words, tackling landlords that discriminate, tackling um, um, 
internship providers that discriminate. So be, have really um, strict measures if um, uh, people uh, cross this uh, boundary because it's actually um, yeah the, the the starting point of our society is to be an inclusive society in which everyone can participate, in which everyone can be themselves. Um, and you were talking about social cohesion as well. I think it's also really important to break the bubbles in our society, to hear each other's stories, to develop a mutual understanding for each other. Because I see in our society that people are becoming afraid of each other, becoming afraid of the other, like uh, refugees, experts, homeless people. People have like images of that. And I think we really need to invest in breaking these bubbles, um, being able to, to, to listen to each other again, to, to build these connections. Um, and that's also what um, P van A does in the local city council, but it's really important on national level as well. Thank you, Eva. Uh, just, could I just add one, one small thing? Um, when I was a city council member here, one of the first initiatives I did was, um, um, I call it uh, anonymous, uh, uh, is it anonymous, anonym, uh, anonymous uh, uh, solicitating. So basically that you are um, solicitating, but they cannot see your name. They can only see your your skills and and you know what what you have done, um, and and of course that that can work that works you know uh, it, it allows you at least to to be welcomed uh, you know um, uh, without looking at your name and be discriminated uh, on the basis of your name. But when you sit there and then people are confronted with you, you still can be discriminated. Or when you maybe are hired, you still get a lower um, um, lower paid than maybe another person uh, on, you know, doing the same job. So uh, I believe that uh, discrimination is, and, and racism is really a structural issue in the Netherlands. Um, it's really institutional. I, I would say we have an institutional racism issue in the Netherlands, which means that um, there are people are suffering from disadvantages based on their uh, race, based on their nationality, based on their name. And this is something we should really attack, uh, really fight for. And I'm um, willing to do that in, in Parliament, uh, to come up with laws that will really make sure that, um, that we fight it. And that also the government, because the government is not necessarily um, showing the good way, right? Um, um, uh, that also the government and also society, that uh, we no longer do this. Thank you, Panzu. Just one thing that I want to say is whoever uh, goes to the parliament and whoever forms the coalition, please stay there. Don't come back uh, in a few months or years. Okay, we want you all, the, the government, to be there for four years. Okay. <laughs> we hope so. So let's move to the to the drinks. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, for the remaining question, yeah, you can also ask during drink. So we will keep them here. So uh, busy. <laughs> no, the drinks, drinks I are first here, need yeah. a toilet break. So if you cannot find me, then uh, that's the case. Yeah, and with that, we end this program from Radio for Brainport coming to you live from the City Hall, from Gemeentehuis de Raadzaal. We have an interesting political debate.
where we are now saying goodbye to the participants. Mengzu Bamangba from D66, Jan Joosten, CDA, Judith Thiele, VVD, Eva de Bruyne from GroenLinks, PvdA and Valerie Bojak. Thanks for listening to Radio for Brainport. If you want to enjoy Eindhoven, then of course the Glow Festival is also a nice opportunity.